Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're so glad that you're here as we get a behind-the-scenes look at the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey, and joining me another solo episode we have, Ryan Cecil. Hey, I'm here. Kenny's on the road again. He's in Vegas right now, you know, doing a, you know, he's doing a mental health break or something. I'm kidding. He's there for a conference. Uh, then the ADI conference is there. I was going to say a work so he's thing there for and work a play but ADI. So yeah. And then I'm sure he's going to mix a medium festival or something. All Not festival, letters. but like club scene, bottle service or something. You That's know? right. He loves like all that rave stuff. Well, you guys heard about it on the last episode, if you listened to the last episode, but there's a bunch of travel. There's a bunch of events. There's a lot of things that are going to be going on yeah. over the next coming months. So stay tuned to the social media feeds. Stay tuned to the podcast, and you'll hear about those as they come up. We have a topic, though, tonight that I'm interested in getting into. I've had this canned for a while, and I think you're probably the one who could speak on it the best, as you're the one who's uh, into the spirits side of things in regards to the blending the most. But before we get there, you know, what's new? What's been what's been going on since we last chatted? Yeah, so we just bottled, you know, all the latest. So it's going to be 8 CD. So we have bourbon, rye the sherry oak and the united oak collection and then we had two surprise uh, barrels thrown in there we did some five single barrels for pursuit series the, these fantastic rye barrels and then there's two surprises in there that we'll probably announce here in the next few weeks uh, but we're launching a new kind of product line extension that i'm really excited about and we'll be launching that releasing that here in a few weeks uh, with a local partner store maybe or may not be for the bourbon festival so anywho there's gonna be some a treat for those who are coming in town for the bourbon festival at least from the pursuits spirits side we'll have some treats it'll be a treat indeed i got a chance to to try those treats they're tasty treats that i tried. <laughs> tasty treats try the treats that tasty treats that i tried yeah they're they're magically delicious well everything's good i mean i don't remember if we talked about this in the last podcast yeah, i, think I should we, it wasn't that long ago but all the new batches i feel like everyone has to say that you know it's kind of like you can't call any like, of your ah, children last one was kind of better favorites you know, but I, do, I do truly think you know we're starting to find our comfort zone you know as we talked about the blending and just understanding where and how all these barrels you know where they're aging all the match different mash bills that we work with and how they really cohese together and you know tasting through all <laughs> literally tasting the barrel i'm kidding but tasting all the barrels and uh putting these final blends together so i'm very excited to get these on market and get what you know get some thoughts and feedback on it and see what they think yeah i think i think what i'm most excited about i'm curious just to see how it does in the uh the awards thing you know again we've talked maybe we haven't really talked about this but you know we the the products don't often necessarily get um into into minix lists or whatever but yeah. i also know that he tries them and so and when he likes them he's he's made some some mentions and stuff about it so i'm curious to just start seeing people's impression again not just us i want to hear people try it and hopefully hear some of the same responses that they are like hey these just keep getting better or i'd be curious to hear if people say they're just staying in the lane or you know think it, it's easy for us as we get close to the product to say oh it's different in this way it's nuanced in this way and I'm curious to see if the general public just thinks it's staying consistent or, you know, what they have to say about it overall as people who maybe aren't as hands-on as we are. So, Well, and to be fair, we kind of, we're not going to get consistency, but we want to get close because we feel like we like these flavor profiles, but they're going to be different and change. And especially with the barrels getting more age on them and whatnot. So this, that these 
will definitely be have the oldest barrels we've ever had. So there's some, you know, it's typically been a blend of majority four and five year old with a little bit of six. It's kind of more five and six year old in there. So there's definitely going to be a little bit more oak presence, more nuanced, uh, a little more depth. So I'm really excited to get these out in the market and see. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like there's one person in this whole space that could change our trajectory, and it's Fred. But he doesn't. He doesn't feel like he can review us fairly or do it because it's be a conflict of interest. Yeah. But uh, which is fine and fair. I, I understand. We don't want to. But he has nothing to do with this project, so I, I understand and respect that. But man, it is tough because he'll tell me offline that he really likes it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll just say it right now for him. But nobody will believe me that. He said it. So that's right. Well, as I alluded to earlier, there's a topic that I've been wanting to get into for a while, and it might be a short one. That's okay if it is, but it's something that I've had on my mind, and I would assume that maybe other people have it on their mind as well. And one of the things that I want to kind of talk about is the difference between a non-distilling producer and contract distilling. And the the main reason I brought this up is because we've been talking about the differences between people who who the, all they do is source from. MGP or, you know, what, what it means to, to be buying barrels off the market. Mm-hmm. But some of these brands or some of the, the companies who do this, it seems like there's a little bit of a negative connotation when they do that from the general, from, from either people industry or from, you know, the consumers and, you know, people who talk about, I'm not going to just buy another MGP thing off, you know, you hear things like that. But then when you talk about somebody who's contract distilling, or mm-hmm. I would think for all intents and purposes, it, it's pretty similar, but that's not necessarily spun in the same way. And so it's always kind of just been a curiosity of mine. You know, what are the main differences that we're looking at when we're talking about these two different terms and how that plays out either in the industry, how they're seen, or, you know, some, again, just some of the concrete differences that are there between them. And again, I thought maybe you would be able to chime in. Yeah, sure. And I just want to preface this, that I'm not saying one way is better than the other. They're just different. Okay. So when somebody, they say they're sourcing, okay, what that means in the simplest term is that a brand is going to someone like MGP or a broker, and they are buying what stocks of liquid are available at that time to purchase. So once a month, or, you know, we have brokers that send us inventory reports we have of what's available on the market. It could be the same mash bills. It could be different things. It can be, typically, it's either going to be that 75-21 for MGP or the 36% rye MGP bourbon. You're going to have a 75-21-4 from Kentucky, likely Bardstown. A, the Green River, which is 70 9 You're going to have some Barton. And sometimes you'll have some Heaven Hill mix in there. And sometimes you get like Jim Beam or something. And those one-offs. It's, so like when you see a bunch of brands come out with a eight-year Kentucky product, you're like, well, what is that? And then because the sourced market has put that on the market and brands will just take that and say, oh, we'll get that and we'll bottle it and whatnot. And that's fine. That's where you get some really good, you know, a lot of people do that with the older Barton stuff. And it's But it's a good way to put really good high-age whiskey. The the bad thing is it's good in the short term, but in the long term, you're always at the mercy of what's on the market. And so unless you can just, you know, stock up enough for the next 10 years, then then you're always going to be like, okay, we went through that, but what's next? Versus other brands who will do the contract distillation side. So for example, like, you know, someone like Old Elk who uses MGP, but they don't source from MGP. 
they actually have specific mash bills that MGP makes for them. It's contract distillation. And so it's not just the generic mash bills that are available to everyone. It's their specific recipes. Sagamore, went before they started making their own whiskey, did the same thing with MGP. A lot of companies do it with Bardstown Bourbon Company, uh, the, you know, us being one of them. But, you know, someone like Chicken Cock or, uh, you know, Marion Eves now with Forbidden and uh, a plethora of others. They have their specific mash bill that's made for them through the contract distillation side. So the difference is, is that the key difference is, A, you're either buying whiskey that's already been made and it's just a generic mash bill that's going to appeal to a lot of different brands versus contract distillation is very specific to that individual brand. So us, then the reason we went with the contract distillation side, we thought because we didn't want to be distillers, but we wanted to have our own unique spin on things and a long-term game plan of not just always having to chase whatever barrel inventory is out there and change our products accordingly. We went the contract distillation side. So our four distilleries make our specific mash bills. We go in there, tell them exactly what we want, what grains we want to use, what barrels we want to use, what char levels, what toast levels. It's very specific to us, not anyone else. And so that it gives us our ability to create Pursuit United that no one else can recreate. Now, granted, there's going to be some people that are better at picking barrels and blending, you know, aka like Smoke Wagon and Penelope, but they were always buying what was available on the market versus having something specifically made for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. One just gives you more of a unique identity than the other, I guess. So what you're saying there too is that, you know, one of the key differences or perhaps the biggest is actually maybe a negative about uh, the market and its consistency for brands themselves in the long term. So what are some examples of things that you've maybe already seen? Have you seen brands already that have had, well, I could name one, I guess, pretty big off the top of the head. So I'll, so I'll see where you go with this. But brands that have had to do this, that have been built off of the the sourced market and then had to pivot but still maintain brand identity. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there was a ton of, you know, with Old Scout and Smooth Ambler, they had a fantastic run with that, those double-aged stated MGP barrels that were just out of this world good. OKI is now New Riff. That's who I was Same thing. Um, Willet had a great run with all those, you know, they had barrels from all over. And that's what was so great about those Willet family estates. But even in those instances, and even brands like Bullet or uh, Heaven Hill back in the day before Old Forester, they all were like source brands that they would go buy whiskey on the market and then put their own spin on it to make it theirs. But then Eventually, the companies that were making their whiskey for them, they ran out of that stock. And then so they had to pivot and start making their own, producing their own. And then while trying to maintain that, and some have done it better than others. Willits, I think, has done a pretty good job of doing making the transition. I think Smooth Ambler and Old Scout had a tough transition with that. I think OKI New Rift did it beautifully because they were like, okay, we had OKI. We're going to cut that off completely and start a new riff, you know, as a totally separate company. So we don't have to like change the identity. But now the new owners are kind of building that back old identity up by partnering with MGP and sourcing whatever they have, the stocks and whatnot. And so, too, yeah, it's like you're either going to always have to pivot and change based on what's available on the market. And, too, it, it, it's just hard to say because who knows what's going to happen. There's a whole another episode we could talk about the the source barrel market and 
how much whiskey is going to be available to folks. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, what do you want to be is if it's easier to to do the source part first, because you got those high, usually higher age products that you can go to market, get some credibility, and then you'll have to slowly transition them. So like Blue Run, for instance, you know, they had those beautiful 13 year old uh, Kentucky barrels that Jim Rutledge put together, won double golds, built up a big reputation, but then they transitioned, you know, to their, you know, their, their contract to still stuff that's actually their own recipes. And, you know, so it's like, and they've done a pretty good job at it, but it's not as, it's a tougher thing than selling those 13 year old. And so you have to pull the bandaid off and they were smart where they did it early and they had a long-term plan to, to kind of transition from that. And eventually, you know, that's going to be their profile, but uh, yeah, it's fascinating. You can go, we thought about going that, that way, you know, doing the double age source product to get our credibility built up. We just thought that was kind of played out for us and probably cause we're too close to the whiskey community and thought, Oh, they're ready for something new, but maybe they weren't, but I don't know. But we think long-term we can build a brand that's unique to us and we're not always at the mercy of what's available on the source market. So talk to me. So this is, that's an interesting thing that you mentioned though. So we talked about one of the biggest hurdles for brands at the mercy of the source market is consistency. But then we talked about the the transition from probably source to either their own distillation or contract distilling. So now let's just take you all for an example or or anyone else who's who's faced with contract distilling and that's where they're at. What and I mentioned this, I think, really early on in the episodes. Um, one of the first couple episodes we were doing, I was kind of throwing, we were talking about forecasting. We we're talking about how much hands-on you guys had in the the contract distilling for your all's own product. And I kind of, I think I threw it out to Kenny saying something like, what if things don't go right or a contract breaks or something like that? And he's like, I don't have that. That's not in the spreadsheet. <laughs> so like, as a contract distiller though, you're still at the mercy, though, of the the contractor, right? Sure. And and so I guess you know what are some of the securities or insecurities that you all have by that? Because I would think, again, if I it, my own head in that kind of business, I still would be like, we're seeing a big boom in the bourbon industry. A lot of people are saying we can't get you on the calendar until X Y Z. When it comes to to bottle filling dates or whatever, it's like if it, if something were to stop and miss that, it gets pushed really far away because of all these other commitments they have to other brands that are also contract distilling. So it seems like a nervous. I I would feel nervous working oh, in that course. area. So kind of kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that, and that's you know, I mean, Kenny says it's not in the spreadsheet plan, but it kind of is because we're in the unique position where we have four facilities that make our whiskey for us now. What made me nervous the most was when Bardstown Bourbon Company, you know, they, there were rumors of an acquisition and we kind of knew, and and I won't get into the details because I don't want to get, you know, anybody in trouble, but there were several players up to bat to get, you know, to to, to potentially buy Bardstown Bourbon Company. One who was going to probably cut out the contract distillation side and use it just for their in-house brands. But then the other who was really bought into the contract distillation side and uh, also to want to focus on their brand, but they really saw the business model as a contract facility. And so I, I lost a lot of sleep when that was going on yeah. and was always making phone calls, trying to figure out who can we pivot to if they cut us off, who or do I have in 
the good thing is with Kenny and I, we have a really good working relationship with everyone in the industry. And I think, you know, there's, you know, there's not just Bardstown Bourbon Company now and Bardstown by Green River. So that gives, you know, more expansion there. They got more production ability there. All these facilities are adding expansions. And so they don't always use them. So they, they'll probably open, they don't use them to their full capacity. So they'll probably open them up to potential contract distillations. There's a lot of new projects where they've reached out to us and said, Hey, if you ever have a problem, you can, you know, you're welcome here. So, but two, you don't know if you move it over there, are they going to make it as good as Bartstown does, you know, or as whoever, you know, Sagamore or whoever we use. And so, you are kind of always at the mercy. Now, we have our specific match pills, our chars, and this and that are unique to us, but you don't know what it's... You know, the, the the good thing is is that these are all newer facilities with column distillation, so it's very uh, consistent product. It's not... Um, it, it's something you could probably plug and play in another facility, but uh, you don't know that. So, um, yeah, that's always in the back of our minds. Yeah, the one of the questions that I that I had in regards to this topic was I think what I was curious about when we talked about the differences between somebody who is just buying stuff on the open market versus somebody who has like you mentioned you had a say in all the steps or the char levels and the the exact mash bills and yada yada yada. So why can't you all have on there that it was, you know, just distilled by is this is this just go into like the legality loops that we see in all these other things you would think that if you you have a hand in it you would have just as much a hand as somebody else who works in the actual company who's doing the distilling that isn't well doing sure. the mashing we, and distilling i mean we're too transparent as a fault we could definitely say that we distilled these mash pills you know or we distilled this whiskey it, it's totally because it's really you know, it is to our specs and to our, uh, to our, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To our processes. Or, and a lot of times yeah. you guys are there when they're doing and it. And we're there, we're doing, we're overseeing it. I, I'm not like turning knobs or anything, but I'm, you know, talking to Nick and seeing what's going on. And was well, anybody turning knobs really these days? <laughs> the Come exactly. On but I mean, that's the thing. It's all this stuff is so automated anymore. There's not really any like hands-on experience. So we could put lipstick on a, was it lipstick on a pig or something mm -hmm. and say that this is distilled by me, the master distiller, but we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to, we, we've always been transparent. We all want to be, always want to be authentic and unique and in the sense that we're not distillers, but we do think we are fantastic barrel selection, maturation and, and blenders. And that's our niche. And that's why with this whole project, we went the contract distillation side because we can blend things unique to us. If you're on the source market, there's a lot of, even if you're sourcing from Barstown or Green River or MGP, it's a lot of the same things. And there's a ton of brands who are using that model where they're sourcing it. And that's fine, but then you have to find a differentiator, you know, and it's like, how do you differentiate yourself from the 50 other brands that are sourcing that exact same product. And I think that's what a lot of companies who have gone the MGP route are kind of facing today. It's like Penelope was smart and they said, okay, finishing is going to be kind of our differentiator. We're going to have these fantastic whiskey, but we're going to do finishing to kind of make our, our, our niche in it. Smoke Wagon was kind of before, you know, the MGP. I mean, there was a MGP train, but they were kind of on the forefront. So they but Aaron's a fantastic blender and the, the packaging and all this, and he's a character and it plays into the wild west and, 
uh, that's, you know, their differentiator. But if you're just, you know, we read the press releases all the time and it's like, okay, it's distilled in Indiana or distilled in Kentucky. And I'm like, what's your match bill? And they say 75, 21, four. And I'm like, you and everyone else in the, in the market, you know, and that, and to be fair, probably most consumers do not care and they just buy into the other story. For us, we didn't want just a story. We wanted a truly unique product. We didn't want to have to BS our way to get people to buy our products. Yeah. So then I think this is the transparency is a key of what I'm getting ready to talk about. So, I, but we might get into it a little bit later on. I think that's the thing that I still think is interesting is let's talk about perception. Let's talk about, you know, public opinion, kind of that same thing. A lot of times I remember somebody, I, I went into a total wine. This is when I was, you know, kind of early into the product and was asking about something that was on the shelf. And somebody was like, I, one of the workers there was like, well, that rise MGP, just like 95% of these other brands that are here on the shelf. So there's, I feel like, and I'm not going to, this is not bashing on MGP. I'm just saying there often though, still is a negative connotation in regards to people with sourced products versus, you know, again, we talk about the contract selling, but I'm not sure why, because yeah, you all do get your product and you blend it from, from four different places that do your contract distilling. But I would say as a whole, there aren't that many places that are contract distilling, just like there aren't that many, you know, necessarily uh, sources where the source market's coming from. So someone could easily just be like, oh, that's just another Green River product. That's right. just another well, not, Sagamore I, product. So I think that's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so you think, it, so you think these are similar in regards to perceptions, but possibly right now there's just not enough time sure. with the contract distilling side to catch up to people being, for lack of a better word, tired of, you know, some of the source brands out there. No, I think, I think you're going to have a similar reaction with the Green River, the Bardstowns, the MGPs, where you just have so many doing the same thing that you're like, okay, what's really different about this? And and we saw that on the horizon. You know, it's like when we initially did this project, we're like, well, if we just go in there, and we could have, we said, if we just go in there and buy whatever Bardstown has or our different contractors have, you know, then we're just the same as, we're going to be the same as everyone else. We're just a little earlier than any, you know, a lot of people in the game. And so that's, why we also chose to go the contract distillation route, you know, with different distilleries. Cause it's like, I think in another two to three years, it's going to have that perception like, Oh, you source from Barstown or oh, you source from green river, but it's just another that type of thing. Do you think then that you all, and by you all, I mean, you know, pursuit spirits, the pursuit United line. Do you think that you all use, transparency as your differentiator so that that doesn't happen as opposed to using transparency just for transparency's sake. Meaning, you know, if other brands are transparent sure, and they source or they're transparent and they're a contract distiller and all they do is take their one or two mash bills from the same place and it's continual bottle over and over and over and 30 brands are doing that transparency still won't matter in a couple of years sure. because it's they're transparent about the same things that everyone knows and more of the general public might know that. So, you know, are you all using transparency for the sake of transparency or to kind of anchor in that that's your all's differentiator in, in collaboration with your all's ability to, to blend and find, you know, these flavors that go together? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're transparent because that's just us by default. Is because we've been too close to the industry. We see all the the things that are romanticized and kind of like, and we're you know, if you're following us on Instagram and we're kind of being playful with it now, like just all the like buzzwords and all the things like terminology of like you know they cling on to is like this is oh it's a small batch or it's like hand distilled or handcrafted and this and that and like whereas you really get into it, but for us it you know. Kenny came up with this line, and I think it was with the help from ChatBeat GPT or whatever, but it, it is true of the essence. It's, we built this product to be for those people who know good whiskey, and that was us. We were like, we want to create something that's interesting, different, unique, and for those who are always looking for interesting flavor, it's an adventure of both flavors, and that's our differentiator. It's like, sure, I just don't think we could have done that with that other model. We could have been for a while just because we were one of the first ones to launch Green River. I, I think you even see that now with a lot of brands that have launched Green River. They're doing all the Amberanas. They're doing the Honeys. They're doing the Maples just because they're having to differentiate themselves just like they would with, you know, the MGP route or whatnot. And so whereas we can differentiate ourselves through our specific mash bills and the art of blending and creating those interesting adventure of both flavors for those who know good whiskey. So what is it about? contract distilling versus sourcing that makes somebody more solidified in their position in the industry? I don't know if it, like I said, when I started this from the beginning, I don't think it solidifies you. There's been a ton of brands that have been built off the sourcing market. You know, Barrel's one of them. They continue to source and they do a fantastic job, you know, of blending and then doing you know, the really interesting and crazy finishes that they've turned into, you know, a really viable and like sustainable shelf item that you're always looking for, like seagrass or vantage or dovetail. Dovetail, yes. I feel like you are going to have a leg up if you do produce your own. That's always something that is always, I feel like in market perceptions, always going to give you a better starting point than someone that sources. Th- this may be just because you know, we surround ourselves with whiskey geeks all the time. But I, I think if you asked an everyday consumer, you know, you, they see your product and they're like, oh, where's it made? Or where's your distillery? And then you get into the, you know, that still kind of confuses them. And whereas they can understand, like, they can wrap their head around like, okay, you make it, barrel it, bottle it. They can understand that. But they're like, wait a minute, somebody makes it for you? You know, whereas every other product out there is, you know, co-packed or made by someone else, it, even if you have like a seasoning line or you come up with your Dutch apple pie from your grandma's, you know, to scale it, you usually have a co-packer that makes your recipe for you. And then because they can do it at a better economy of scale and you're better at going out and selling and marketing and this and that. So you're, I do think in the whiskey world, for some reason versus others, there's all this, there's this badge of honor with producing your own. And I don't know what's going to take to break that stigma because wine has done it. You know, a lot of wine brands are, you know, they source from different vineyards and different regions and different grapes and blend them together. And that's, that's okay. But for some reason in American whiskey in particular, like even scotch, they don't care as long as it's made in Scotland, they'll blend Japanese whiskey, same thing. But for some reason for American whiskey, it's a badge of honor to make your own. Whereas in reality, it should be about what's the best flavors. You know, I don't care where it was made. What's the end product taste like? And that, that's the, and I think what's going to be huge for us as a brand is our downtown location where we can unveil the curtains and bring people into this space and show them like, oh, it's not just, because I think people just think like, oh, somebody makes it for you, just shows up 
well, it does probably in some brands. It shows up in a tote. They just throw it in the bottling line and it gets bottled. But for us, it's completely different. So we're going to really be able to showcase people barrel selection, barrel maturation, how the different char levels impact it, how the different locations, how the different wood finishing, blending them together, showing them all this nuanced processes that really can where they can understand and wrap their head around what we're doing. It's hard to explain that to someone. That's why, you know, going to a distillery tour is like, people love that because they can actually see it in, in the flesh. We don't have a still, but we can show them in the flesh what we do to create this product of the day, that it's not just throwing whiskey in a bottle. It's a very methodical process of barrel selection, grain selection, mash bill selection, blending, finishing, all these things that really come together to what's in the Pursuit United bottle. I think that helps. I think that's uh, that's it's clear as mud. No, I think that's uh, <laughs> I think that's good. I, again, it's just something that's been on my mind for a while. Is really and again, my my hope is that it was on someone else's mind too. Is what really is the difference in breakdown when it comes to, to these two? Because to me, it can be confusing as somebody who is in there, let alone somebody who you know that whiskey's not the thing that they think about all the time. So thanks for going in that. Yeah, and to be fair, it it may not be a detail that a lot of consumers care about but some do and i think more and more people are wanting to know because there are so much option and so much choice that you are going to have to unveil that curtain and be like okay why are you truly different because more and more people are skeptical of marketing these days and so they want authenticity and that's what brands are really going to have to evaluate is like okay how can we be authentic with this path that we've chosen and i'm not saying either one is right or wrong it's just how do you be how can you be authentic is what's going to win in the marketplace. Right. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode. If you have questions on this particular topic, non-distilling producers versus contract distilling, podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. Let us know if, if that was insightful for you guys or if there's more that you want to hear about that. And we'll pass it on to Ryan, and Ryan will dig into that a little bit more. Maybe we get into another episode, respond an email, whatever it takes. If there's other topics you want to hear us talk about, <laughs> podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. Thanks again, as always, everybody, for tuning in to another episode. Ryan, thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Till next time, everybody. See you all later. Toodles.